0: Welcome to Two Moms on the Couch. Dana's a real psychotherapist, and Amy's a fake one. She's a comic married to a psychiatrist. And Dana's brother is married to Amy's cousin. We're family. Mm -hmm. Together, we discuss the dilemmas and delights of having ambitions and teenage kids at the same time. At the end of this show, you'll have three useful tips to help you deal with the topic of the day, which today is... How hard do you push your kids... Do you know?
1: I don't know, but hopefully we'll be able to figure it out by the end. Okay. Hi, Dana. Hi, you
0: Your name probably, does it get mispronounced often when people read it? Because it's D-A-N-A, but it's pronounced Dana, which is a short A sound.
1: Correct. And people always make it a long A because it's spelled like Dana.
0: What was your parents thinking with that spelling, pronunciation, kind of divergence
1: well I'll tell you Amy they didn't like the way it looked they didn't like the way d-a-n-n-a looked so they decided to make it d-a-n-a and pronounce it Dana and it has been like the bane of my existence my entire life Wow but actually I just answer to anything with a D okay and as long as people talk to me they're cool I'm okay yeah that's great So I, a lot of times I don't even notice if people mispronounce it. That's how like immune I've become to it. and my husband as a joke, calls me Dana like that's what he calls me. It's almost like a his like pet name or something and people will say sometimes like, why does he mispronounce your name? <laughs> that's funny because
0: sometimes people call my husband Daniel. Sometimes they'll call him Dan and it drives me crazy, but not him. But sometimes as a joke, I'll say Danny yeah. or something <laughs> like that, which is just so unhim. But I've had all these fantasies of how to tell people that his name is really Daniel yes. instead of Dan. Like my favorite fantasy is this, because it's so passive-aggressive, is to say... Oh, you know, you seem like you're close enough that you could call him what all of his really close friends do, which is Daniel.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Does he prefer Daniel?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And he goes by Daniel with everybody.
0: Yeah. Uh I mean, there's a couple old, old friends that call him Dan, Uh but just they're kind of grandfathered in from no time whatsoever because they just started it and never stopped Uh and then it became the, I don't know. But it just, I think he's always been Daniel, Daniel. from what I can tell. I
1: never think of him as a Dan or a Danny. Yeah. It it seems like a different name. Yeah,
0: doesn't it? (laughs) Anyway. Uh, Why did your parents name you Dana? Like, were you named after somebody, or what's the story? I was named
1: after, well, my Hebrew name is Devoka. Isn't that exciting? Is that your Hebrew name, too? No, it's not. I've never (laughs) met anybody who has Devoka. Yeah, which...
0: Wow, I didn't even
1: know no, that, that word. No, that was the no. name. It's, what chapter? I think, that, yeah, I think it's actually sort of a, like a Yiddish derivation. Okay. Of, but I think that they just like the name, and they, they named me that. And I have met other Danas in my life since that are D-A-N-A, but not very really? many. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow. My mom, well, I know that you didn't even ask me, but because my name is Amy, <laughs> which is a pretty boring name, but uh my mom i asked her about how she got my name at one point and she said oh you're named after little women the character amy which is funny because that character is The bitchy one like she's spoiled and bitchy and most people i know that name their children after somebody you know especially people i've met in asian cultures or something they name their kid like warrior of light or you know (laughs) lion who rules the mountain or something and you know something to enhance your destiny and my mom named me after the mean spoiled girl in little women so
1: she could have named you regina george (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Anyway, so I got off easy, I oh. guess. So, um, but I think names are interesting. Yes. And right. and I'm I was thinking about my mom when I was thinking about today's topic because I remember this one time we were at I think it was Passover or something and we did one of those corny go around the table and one freedom thing or whatever. Uh-huh. Maybe it was Thanksgiving because it was yes. a what are you grateful for? Yes. And I remember My mom, completely unbidden, totally out of the blue, turned to me and my sister and said, you know, the people that you're hardest on are the people you care about the most because you see what they can be. And it had nothing to do (laughs) with anything we were talking about uh-huh. or doing. And you know, my mom has been hard on me over time over certain things and I remember we laughed at her, we rolled our eyes. But as I thought about this topic, I thought, wow, when you when I am tempted to push my kids, uh-huh. that's what I'm doing. I'm seeing what I think they could be. Yes. And I'm Trying to shove them there, uh-huh. but it doesn't always
1: work. No, I, people don't always appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> shoving them. In the way that you
0: <laughs> anyway, I thought that story would
1: be kind of a <laughs> a nice entree yeah into the topic. Yes, thank you, Amy. Shall I thank Louisa May Alcott? Yeah. <laughs>
0: You know, bitchily, I rolled my eyes at my mother, but <laughs> yeah. here I am saying, "My God, Mom, you were right. That is why I pushed them. I'm so sorry." <laughs> you know, I I go through this. I know you've gone through this. What what's your experience around this dilemma with how hard to push your kids? It
1: is something that I think so much about, and I definitely think about it so much because of the book that I'm writing. And I was actually thinking about it in the context of you had called it a reframe even, which I appreciated, but how do we motivate our kids so that we aren't pushing them to be what it is we want them to be, but how do we engender motivation in them? And I actually, I think about motivation a lot. I think about my own motivation or lack thereof. And my husband and I talk a lot about how to present things to to the kids so that they feel motivated and that they feel like they have some sense of ownership over the direction of their lives and that they aren't doing something simply for the sake of pleasing us. And I'm sure that that harkens back to my own history as a as a people pleaser. And I talk to parents a lot about how to motivate their kids as well. Um, and I see the frustration with so many parents of seeing they're feeling as if they know their kids' potential and they see what their child is capable of and then they think that their child is not quote unquote achieving that and so they want to push them as a way of encouraging them, supporting them and maybe even loving them. Um, and that can backfire a lot of times. <laughs> but were you thinking of a recent instance even? Well
0: um yeah I was as a matter of fact pushy mom pushy mom (laughs) but you know I was trying to gently push but one of my I'm a good pusher I'm not the bad kind no (laughs) (laughs) she said
1: defensively
0: (laughs) (laughs) no but I you know my one of my kids is doing really well in all her classes but then she's I think uh, not doing very well on her tests and so I was trying you know I was concerned is it her study habits or does she just not get that the tests count for 60 percent of the grade or you know what is it and so I was trying to be a little gentle helpful about helpful <laughs> and you know give some suggestions for how <laughs> she could study Dana's so laughing at me <laughs> And unbeknownst to me, uh, my husband, Daniel, (laughs) had done the exact same thing at a different time (laughs) with her. And so I was in the middle of the conversation with her. And she said, can we just not talk about this anymore? And Mm. I said, sure, sure, that's fine. Uh, You know, I was just trying to... I think I backed <laughs> off. I can't remember exactly. <laughs> anyway, uh, the next day she had the, the test in the class and we get a call from the school nurse. Uh, she was in the office and she had just thrown up. Oh. And I asked her about it and she said it was, she had been stressed out about the test. Oh. And you know that I was kind of concerned before, like she's not stressed out enough. Uh-huh. But obviously... She's stressed out enough. So, so that just felt kind of like a fail oh. and on several fronts. And, you know, late, she's very empathetic. And so later I said, I feel so bad that we pushed you. I feel like we made you sick. I swear you guys listening, it was really gentle. I wasn't <laughs> aggressive. I wasn't like, if you don't get an A on this test. I was just like, oh, maybe you might
1: want to <laughs> go to the study session or,
0: you know anyway so yeah I do have a recent example in
1: mind. yes and actually I mean I'm acting like a big shot but we literally just this morning had gone to my son's parent teacher conferences and the math teacher had suggested that he come for some extra they call it office hours in seventh grade and he had. He actually was insistent that my son attend these office hours. And my husband said, yeah, I think that we just need to tell him that that's what he has to do. And I think that limits are helpful and guidance is helpful, but I immediately bristled at the idea of imposing on him something that he had to do that he was already feeling frustrated and feeling like he was trying really hard and that... The tests were not necessarily reflecting all of his hard work and his effort and i immediately said to my husband no we can't just tell him that that's what he's gonna do that's that's like what our parents would have done and we saw how that backfired so um yeah because here we
0: are two successful women in manhattan with nice happy lives yes no i don't know i mean i guess you know what is backfire. Well, I my think, question. I mean, I know sometimes we have psychic pain. Does Does everybody have psychic pain? I don't know.
1: I think everybody does, but I think that a lot of my psychic pain was about the externally imposed expectations, especially around grades, which is why I'm writing the book, and and about achievement and pleasing um, my parents and, and having
0: a name that looks good.
1: Pretty much, Amy. Okay. Yeah.
0: Meh. yeah.
1: And so it, um, and so, and I think that I actually missed out on kind of, so a lot of the time what motivated me was to make things look good. And Mm. it's funny that it did, that we began that way and to make it look as though I was trying hard or or to get a good grade just so that it looked good. And I think that it wasn't, I was rarely motivated by learning or um, absorbing information or material. And even that sense of mastery, the sense of like, oh, I something was hard for me and I really worked toward it. And then I was able to accomplish something. I think that I was much more fixated on making it look as though I was trying hard and then having some kind of grade to, as an external indication. Like a display. Yes.
0: Of look how well I'm doing. Yes.
1: Yeah. We, it's funny,
0: you know, I have a daughter who's the same age as your son who just had this conference and she has been having some real struggles around homework and kind of a, a fatalistic thing about it. Like I just finished doing it and then there's more mm-hmm. and then I do it and then there's more and mm-hmm. she does it I think for fear of getting in trouble from her teachers if she doesn't do it and we have been working a little bit recently on on reframing the idea of homework mm-hmm. for her because of the fact that she's seeing it as kind of a a zero-sum game Mm -hmm. in a way Mm -hmm. and a waste of time Mm -hmm. and frustrating because it's endless and we were trying to communicate this idea to her that look you're learning things Mm -hmm. you're getting smarter or you're learning to manage your time better Mm -hmm. or you're you know there's an intrinsic value in it beyond what the teachers think yes. and I think she's getting so stressed out by what the teachers think that it's standing in the way of her getting those good things that are to be gotten from homework. I mean not all schools I think have rewarding homework. Hers I think happens to have uh-huh. non-busy work homework oh, that's for great. the most part.
1: That's really good because there is so much controversy now even about the value of homework and there is so much homework assigned that a lot of times it does seem sort of, it doesn't seem as though it interferes so much with kids' emotional health Mm -hmm. that it actually can hamper their performance or hamper their learning as opposed to enhance it or reinforce it. Because it seems
0: just like a chore and a task versus process of trying something right like if they halved the quantity sometimes you know if you had five or seven math problems a night instead of 14 you'd still get some practice but you wouldn't feel buried
1: yes and so burdened by it especially if kids have any kind of after school activities as well which is a whole other kind of motivation I think about it a lot what my son's soccer games and um this sounds so stereotypical but the parents who, and, and and I think I'm sure that we do it as well, that we want to push them to be able to perform well and quote, unquote, do their best, which is another one of these phrases I think that is pretty charged. I think that a lot of times too, like work ethic and, and motivation kind of get confusing or get, um, intertwined for parents that you want to engender this work ethic you want all I think all parents want their kids or most parents want their kids to be hard workers and know the value of working hard towards something but I think that it often gets lost in translation when parents are trying to engender that work ethic in their kids because there's kind of the like the moral part of it, which I think is the work ethic part. and The
0: puritanical piece or something, like in work is goodness. Yes. Yeah.
1: And then there is an emotional piece. And so, and the emotional piece, the only thing that's going to motivate somebody is a sense of mastery and competence. When you feel like you can do something and when you feel the, when you reap the internal rewards of having been able to, whatever, accomplish something or get some kind of competence in the area that's what motivates you to want to continue and that I think that that's true for all human beings and so how do you in whatever instill that feeling or how can you foster that feeling so that kids are aware of it and can experience it themselves this is maybe not a great analogy but i think about it as far as like the physiology of eating Nobody else can tell you when you are full, like if you're or how hungry you are, although I do like to tell my kids that I think that they're hungry or that they're cold or right. something. So it's somebody being able to reflect on their own internal experience to know I am hungry and I am full and that it isn't necessarily for somebody else to dictate when somebody has that feeling or not.
0: And Also, I have a hard time calibrating that myself about the hungry and (laughs) full thing. Oh, my gosh. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I I have one kid who, after four bites, says I'm full. And I'm like, I'm sorry. That's not in your genetic makeup Uh to know that phrase. Like, you just keep eating. That's what we do. So, yeah. And what
1: does eating have to do with hunger anyway? Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's about flavor. (laughs) It's about feelings. It's about pushing them down. Yeah. Yes. Sweetness. Okay. Yeah, sweetness mm-hmm. or saltiness mm-hmm. or combining the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. that's the jackpot. Mm-hmm. That's what eating is about. Yes, Yeah. exactly. So, okay. So just to kind of recap us a little bit. Mm-hmm. So this idea of instilling a work ethic feels like a very top-down mm-hmm. approach that's kind of moralistic and perhaps ineffective. Nobody is or few people probably are motivated by wanting to be appropriately puritanical Mm -hmm. and hardworking for the sake of working. It's almost like that feels so results-oriented, whereas motivation sometimes feels, like, motivated to go through the process. Mm -hmm. I I feel, though, like, people are so impatient and results-oriented that it's hard to have appreciation for process when it's due tomorrow
1: and it's an hour before bedtime or,
0: you know, grades or or Mm -hmm. college or, Mm -hmm. you know, everything seems so loaded Mm -hmm. in a way that it's hard to, Kind of stop and smell the process because mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that's gross anyway yeah. <laughs> so how do you fix that dana
1: well i'll tell you it's an, it's an easy fix really no, no it's oh. not i'm kidding <laughs> I actually was so excited. Oh, i'm sorry i wish it <laughs> worked and i think that it is really hard and i think that also so much of school has been positioned or achievement and things have been positioned in this way college is always lurking in the background or the idea of college and so i think that it can be very helpful to engage kids at a pretty young age in some kind of collaboration and not that kids necessarily have to be driving the train entirely but i do think when they are included in the process in the decision-making process of some sort i think that their, i think adults are like this too that their buy-in is much greater and so To even say, like I was suggesting to my husband, for example, and I think that he thought that I was like soft pedaling too much around him because I'm so sensitive to being um, imposing that I probably, once again, like err on the other side of the continuum. But I had said to him, what about, even though our like quote unquote goal was to get him to participate in these office hours, my son, that if we were to say well what do you think is fair like it sounds like you're going to need some reinforcement of the math that you definitely like you feel so good when you understand it and oftentimes it just takes a little bit more time and so what do you think would be when would be a good time for you to put in that extra work with the teacher do you think before school do you think after school because also he feels like that there's a punitive element of it. Mm-hmm. The teacher had suggested to him that he attend these extra help hours during recess time. Mm. And um, even the math teacher was acknowledging, like, what 13-year-old boy would prefer to come and do math problems after lunch rather than running around and socializing? And he, those are two things that he really likes and needs and values, and yeah, do we. I mean, it seems a little bit like a setup because it sounds as if we had made the decision already, but I think that if my son felt like he was, if he could begin to consider, A, that it would be helpful for him, and that he knows that he probably does the, the additional reinforcement, but when would he want to do it, and what does he think is a fair amount, then we can begin to kind of, I guess, negotiate, but even solve the problem together. Right. And I could imagine my parents rolling their eyes at this approach, because I think we grew up in an era where You
0: just do it.
1: Yes. And we said so. Right. And so I know that they would mock this, but... Did it work? um, We haven't done it yet, but we (laughs) did it. (laughs) But it has worked in the past in other ways, and we did it a lot with my daughter as well. Because I want... It's, it, the truth is it is his work, it is his brain, it is a matter of his learning how his brain works and what strategies work for him. And for us to say we are, although we may actually really believe that this would be a beneficial thing, if he feels resistant to it or forced into it, he's not gonna avail himself to it anyway. Right. So um, I feel a little manipulative, although, it's with the best of intentions.
0: Right. It's just, it just, it does strike me as funny because it's kind of like the teacher is going to have X office hours and so it's like, which of these hours between one and three on Tuesdays <laughs> would you think would be a useful idea to go? Well, actually... I mean, is it like that?
1: Kind of. It's <laughs> not quite that much of a setup, but it could... He, but the teacher actually, because I was... I was expressing my concern about just telling him that he had to go three days right. a week after school. And so the teacher actually was quite flexible and said, look, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever works for him and to do it a little bit around his schedule too. He's a pretty psychologically minded teacher, I think. And he felt like he recognized that my son was trying hard, which I think is greatly appreciated. And so he wanted my son to be able to have some ownership over when he was going to come to. And even for him to determine, like just before we started this, you and I were talking about what hours were sharpest and what hours we work best. And so for him to decide even like, I like to get it done in the morning, or I'd like to, I'd rather do it after school, or maybe I would be willing to forego, you know, recess one day to be able to do it. But I think that I think he'll be open to the process if we if we sort of present it to him in a in a kind of thoughtful, compassionate, collaborative way right. rather than the top-down way that Oh, you mean the way I did it yesterday no, at my kids' parent-teacher
0: conferences <laughs> which happened to be yesterday afternoon. I've been holding out here because my daughter has been having some issues with her math class. Yeah. <laughs> her advisor said to her well I think it would be because they do the conferences with the kid and the parents Yes. and so the advisor said you know it would be a really good idea for you to go once a week to this math clinic after class and just get the homework done and you don't have to stay the whole time but that way if you get stuck you're fine and you know my because my daughter was saying I get it when we're in class and then I go home to do it and it doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. anymore and I'm stuck and I panic and you know she didn't say I panic but Mm -hmm. we all know she panics (laughs) and so we kind of I I don't know how collaborative it was I'll get back to you on that it felt collaborative ish that she said that that she agreed to go in the afternoons Mm -hmm. to this thing one day a week for a while and just see how it goes
1: Yeah, and I even think, I mean, just to like wordsmith it, and I don't necessarily do this, but this is what the books say to do, is even if you were to say to her, so what do you think, let's even walk this through, and they say this is very helpful to do with like pre-adolescence and adolescence because it helps with like executive functioning and, and problem solving and things, and a lot of times it's so tempting for us to come in with a solution that seems so logical and Obvious in a way, but to even say to her, you know, it's interest or you're saying my, My kids hate when I say it's interesting, but you're saying that you understand things in class and then by the time you get home and doing your homework you don't remember it and that's so frustrating for you i wonder if there's a way to bridge that do you have any ideas about how that could get done which or you know how to bridge that gap or however you want to say it so that they begin to think like oh there's a problem here there must be a solution and you're kind of guiding her through a problem-solving approach but you're not coming in with the solution but you're also showing how one problem solves. I I think that that is very helpful too and it helps they say develop like certain or exercise certain kinds of neural pathways yes yeah circuitry
0: activity yeah right and even if I mean I'm I imagine you've been in this situation before where you point out that gap you know here's what you don't understand then when you you understand at school you don't understand at home so what do you think we could do Mm -hmm. here or you could do I'm sure you've come to the situation where you have the kid that says I don't know Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. because that's
0: I get a lot of I don't know yeah but I I would imagine that even if they're shrugging and yeah. grunting uh, in a cute way it's really yeah, course, cute it's adorable course, cute grunts. but uh, that the synapses are still firing Absolutely. even if they look like they're not listening or buying in or working on the issue i mean i i know the the kid i'm talking about doesn't miss a beat even if she is in shrug mode yes
1: and feigning and i don't even know if it is feigning Disinterest as much as I think that also their wheels are beginning to turn. You're planting seeds about how pro- how one begins to solve a problem, and it's also asking them to process a lot. Actually, right? Though- it's like
0: over like short circuiting almost, like, like beep, 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 in right. the red, in the red. Stop, mom, stop. Right, right. The teacher then- sitting here, she's looking at me. You're looking at me. There's other people across the room. Ah, it's all too much. No
1: yeah kind of like that (laughs) thank you for putting into words her little brain oh i know i'm horrible (laughs) no i think it's helpful actually to hear what's happening in there and then for her to be able to articulate it in some kind of like coherent way is asking a lot of a kid and to think on the fly and things like that but you're even just or you're even saying look well let's talk about it later we could even maybe we could think up some ways that might be helpful so that when she isn't under as much pressure or some of the dust has settled a little bit that she's able to think it through and one can make suggestions certainly but i think that if it comes from her even if she were to say i think it would be helpful for me to maybe review it at some point, then you can even offer, again. what about even reviewing it with the teacher there? That's, what would you think of that? But the more give and take and sort of ongoing collaboration, the more the kid is going to be invested in the process. And all of the research shows that external motivation that like rewards and carrots uh, and paying
0: kids for grades or candy for chores or whatever it's
1: not necessarily as effective it's not going to engender some sense of like real competence or motivation or mastery so yeah ownership
0: right right yeah it's all this stuff is so hard because a lot of times you know we'll have those things with the I don't know it's hard for me as an interrupter as you've all heard to <laughs> leave that space for mm-hmm. her I literally almost feel myself having to bite my tongue yep. to not say well what about yes. what yes. about da-da-da? you know you could because mm-hmm. I've got 45 solutions yes but that doesn't solve the real problem which right. is How do you find solutions? Exactly.
1: And I think also, and life is moving so quickly too. So not only do you have 45 solutions, you probably only have 45 seconds to be discussing it because then you're moving on to the next thing. Or you have to go and make dinner. Or you have to phone call to make. So it also, I think that there isn't a lot of time to just like sit with things and, and to... Uh, to have the patience and to actually leave the, the time to be able to have these kind of more thoughtful discussions. And so we want right, to come up right. with a solution really quickly. I think that that's I think that's really hard. That's where I find a lot of times, if I had more time, I always think, then I would be able to follow through on all of these things that I read or the things that I know would be better. But I feel like I don't have time. Right. and
0: Like I don't have time to teach my kid how to do the laundry and make sure that she does the laundry in the hall. And, you know, I don't know. I just, is that face because like who has time to teach their kid to do the laundry or yes, what face it, it, is that? The
1: face is that life is so busy. Yeah. And I oftentimes feel like I don't have time to be doing, I mean, in some way that's like Reflective of what we're describing. Even right. that like to process something or to be in the process when we just want to like get to the result of the solution. And the and next thing. The next because thing. Because there's
0: always another thing. And yes. I, I wonder, I mean listeners who were in New York City which is a notoriously quickly moving place people use that expression faster than a New York minute Mm -hmm. but I'm wondering (laughs) if you're in another place do you have this same conundrum of time versus patience and Mm -hmm. process so let us know because I'm curious it seems like just a condition of life
1: I think so and I think but although we'll have to wait and see. If you want
0: this, you know, achievementy stuff. I don't yes. know. It just sounds like it's all been revving up so much. Yes. Like everybody I know who went to my college when I did, we all say, oh, I could never get in now. And uh-huh. it's kind of like, well, then who would? Like yes. if everybody's saying I would never get in now. Yes have they made these super students that are different or would we have just achieved at a different level because that was what was necessary and been more stressed out Mm -hmm. i mean there is so much need for mental health on college campuses Mm -hmm. right now i hear that's just exploding and you know i guess at what cost achievement yes Is that a different episode? I think that's a different episode. Yeah,
1: but that is, and you know that that's a big focus of my book, even is that I think that also a lot of us feel like we were then compromising our values, like the things that we're talking about now. Well, of course, we value uh, the way that our kids feel, and we value, we want them to be able to have time to process their feelings or be able to learn to problem solve and things like that. On the other hand, we feel like we don't have time, and so. We end up kind of making decisions that are more based on this like hurried, anxious mindset, as opposed to like what we really believe in. So we feel so conflicted in so many ways.
0: It seems like so much of this thing always comes back to this idea of college and a good college, mm-hmm. and sometimes I do think we get overhyped about that. Are you familiar with Chip and Dan Heath? No, they're they're these great social scientists chip is at uh Stanford and I think Dan is somewhere in North Carolina but anyway they wrote a book about decision making and I had the huge fortune when Daniel was figuring out where to go to medical school, of having a conversation with Chip Heath through my work about how to make this choice Uh of whether Daniel should go to what was known as a more prestigious school or something that was local to where we were. And that suited certain family needs uh-huh. better. And Chip said that there are these studies that say that they, they somehow figured out how to do a control group where they figured out that a kid who goes to Harvard and a kid who goes to Michigan, you know, if if one is destined to be, you know, secretary of state or a doctor or whatever... Uh-huh. It's going to turn out the same way. Yes. You know, that that your motivation is your motivation. And if you're the kind of person who's driven enough to achieve X, Mm -hmm. then you can go to community college and transfer and figure it out. And you're going to achieve X. And that that, I guess it it lines up with what you're saying, that that's something that comes from within. Whereas you can get your straight A kid who punches all the, you know, checks all the Mm -hmm. boxes and everything and gets into that prestigious school. But at the end of the day, if they don't have that drive from within, then you're wasting the Harvard. Yes,
1: exactly. And that is, yes, and that is so much what the current literature is also. There are so many different studies. And I, I think in response to all of the mental health that you were referencing before, that Kids are so anxious and depressed and feeling so much pressure that there must be something in the culture that's contributing to that. And it seems like this achievement-obsessed culture is definitely part of it. And I think that that comes from, I think that we're so anxious about the future that we are looking for certain kinds of like concrete anchors to be able to say all right but if he goes to harvard he'll be set for life kind of thing that there must be something that will set them up to ensure or increase the likelihood of their being okay and so that i think once again sort of originates from like an anxious place within us the anxiety about the unknown of the future and Could I switch gears just for one second? Please do. I was actually, the other thing that I think is very helpful, I think it's helpful for kids. I think it's helpful just for other, for all humans. But even I, a lot of times I find myself when I'm talking to parents with toddlers and toddlers are being very resistant and they want to push the kid to do a certain thing, whether it's toilet training or leaving CVS without the stuffed animal that they want, that So much of the time, I feel like this is like a universally helpful tip, is that if you can empathize with the kid, like what it is that the kid is feeling and what it is that the kid wants, like sort of, or what their motivation is, and then provide them with an alternative way to express it or a more quote unquote appropriate way to, I guess, appropriate way to express or more effective way to express it, that actually... That is also what kind of helps kids be able to get what they want. And so this does tie into motivation. I oh, agree. it does oh. so
0: much. I mean, we this is very similar to some stuff that we do with my applied improv work. Because in a funny way, most people have this elemental knowledge of improv as yes and. Mm-hmm. But it's not just lip service to that idea of saying the words yes it's not just saying the words Mm. yes and Mm -hmm. the yes is that thing you were talking about about recognizing Mm. what the person put out there Uh and validating that acknowledging it you know whether it's a feeling or a word Uh or whatever and then the and is offering Uh. either that thing or Uh building on it Uh. somehow or making a new offer to that Uh. person that they can accept or reject but kind of moving the whole thing along in a flow direction because saying no is a complete flow killer. Yes. And that's going to give so much frustration to a kid just to hear no. Right. Whereas if you hear, you know, I know that toy is so cute and mm-hmm. you really want it badly. And right now we have to leave and yeah. you have for similar toys at home. So why don't we go home and play with Scully the blah, Uh blah, blah Uh at home, you know, (laughs) or whatever. And, you know, it might not work. It's not like magic, but at least you've taken the opportunity to see them and their emotions and not just block it
1: off. Yes, and acknowledge it. And And that once somebody feels acknowledged or heard or understood in an internal way, I think that that lowers the barrier the communication barrier so that you feel like they can avail themselves to what it is that you're offering but if you if you say no immediately it often feels to a child or to to anybody to your improv partner that you're saying not only do i not hear you yes
0: it's no to you as well as the thing you want
1: exactly and that is incredibly frustrating, I think. And then it it forces that person to kind of dig their heels in and become more insistent so that they are heard or they yell louder or they tantrum stronger or more strongly. So if you want to be heard and you you want your response to be heard it does seem like i mean i guess it's it sounds so overly simplistic but i think that we're all so eager to get our own voice heard or our own point of view heard that then that becomes it becomes more difficult to acknowledge the other person and so much of the time even in couples therapy i feel like the quintessential therapist when i say to one member of the couple, you know, and what do you hear your wife saying right now? Because oftentimes it not only encourages a certain kind of listening and a certain kind of reflection, but it also shows that how somebody hears somebody else can be very different. Like the interpretation or the lens through which you're, not that you hear through lenses, but (laughs) the filter through which you're hearing it influences so much the way that you interpret what you're hearing, and then what you're responding to is really your interpretation and not really what the other person was trying to say. But who the hell has time to be having these kinds of conversations? Like, what I hear you saying is this. Is that correct? Is that what you meant? I think a lot of
0: times, well, first of all, what you're saying is bringing to mind that Talmudic saying, Mm. we see the world not as it is, but as we are, which I... I think you know be. that's the the filtration thing mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's yes. it's my stuff that causes me to hear what i'm mm-hmm. hearing but i do think that one one thing uh, an exercise we do a lot at at my work uh, in applied improvisation is something where you listen for what somebody cares about. So you're not necessarily, Mm. you know, you will let somebody vent for one minute about something that bothers them. And then the type of listening you're doing is first of all, absolutely silent. But secondly, you're listening under the surface Mm. of what they're saying for what is the intrinsic value Mm -hmm. here. So for example, I could be talking with a Mm neo-Nazi, I don't think I know any. But, (laughs) but you know, the thing is, is that that person might care about their family. And, you know, I would disagree with everything Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. their universe, but the one thing we have in common is that we care about our families. And so if I can acknowledge somebody who sees the world in a way that's completely opposite to the way that I see the world, Uh but can acknowledge a a common value, then we can start dialogue. Mm -hmm. That's an extraordinarily extreme example. But but that's kind of the point of... Of doing that is kind of looking for what's underneath mm-hmm. what it is that a person says they want yes. or believes. That's it's, yeah, I, I find that very useful. It
1: is very useful, and I guess I guess across different industries they just call it different things, right? But therapists they say you listen for the latent content, not the manifest. So it, it's not necessarily the words that they're saying, but kind of what the underlying message is or the underlying emotion is that's propelling what they're saying, and then responding to that, responding more to... Versus
0: the content yes, on a higher level or yes, the words. Yes. And so much of that is nonverbal too. Do you ever find that with your patients I uh, not?
1: Yes, I'm sure that it is. And also I'm always kind of intrigued at what I, I guess because of my own personality, like what I'm missing that what what it is that is getting lost in translation because of my interpretation of what the person is saying too, because I'm so informed by my own perceptions and experiences and judgments as much as I try not to be. And so I find that I always wonder sort of what it is, like I'm always observing my own observations as well, which <laughs> makes for a very
0: complex well, session. Yes, a lot of people yes. in the room. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> right. And is all my the transference, <laughs> The counter-transference. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, you know, like to throw these terms around. Like, I know idiot. somebody. No, like, I know something. Um,
1: well, Danny taught you. Danny. <laughs> Danny.
0: He taught me a thing or two, <laughs> Danny. <laughs> uh. Okay. So, what are we taking away here? This is mm. a topic that mm we're going to have to revisit because there's a lot here. I've learned some things once again that I can improve upon. Last week I said things that I'm doing wrong, but I'm trying to be gentle on myself and listeners. We, I don't know. I always learn stuff from you that I can do differently. And
1: I I learned so much from talking about it, but I also feel self-conscious about being kind of a A know-it-all because this is also it's not as if I practice all of this I'm just telling you what you're supposed to do or what I am aspiring to do but I can't say that I always do it either
0: real life's messy we've talked about this is a future episode too the the gap between what we know we're supposed to be doing and what we're Reality, doing yeah. and you know what what it I sometimes print. yeah really what I sometimes find out here is that I with you is that I think I know more than I do but there I can learn a lot more too oh
1: I'm so flattered Amy
0: <laughs> well but right now I don't see a gap between what I know and what I do because I think I know everything right. and I'm doing it
1: right. and we're just creating the gap here <laughs>
0: Okay. So, so, so sum ta- it up for us. Yeah. So I
1: think that these would be my three takeaways is that we intrinsic motivation is much more effective and meaningful and powerful than external motivation. So the more that we could think about how somebody feels and how they can experience a sense of mastery and competence, that will be the most effective way to maintain some kind of motivation. And I guess... So isn't so much about how much we are pushing them as much as how much we're trying to help them experience their own sense of efficacy. I love that word. And I just wanted to say it. The second is that I think that in line with your yes and that if you can empathically attune to what the latent content is or what it is that the child, the teen, your spouse, the other person's motivation is, and what it is that they're trying to communicate and validate it somehow, that then that will lower the communication barrier or the defense barrier such that the the person is more likely to hear you, so you will be more likely to be heard if you can acknowledge or hear the other person's um, um, message
0: their perspective their feelings yes
1: yeah that's so true and you
0: know one thing that that I've done with Daniel at home is sometimes I'll say to him I just need a 60 second vent now because Uh a lot of times I think people believe that they're being super helpful when they come in with a lot of solutions for a problem or when they say oh that happened Mm -hmm. to me too and they're trying to be relatable and share with you and the thing that you really need is what you were just talking about that empathy and that sense that somebody really is listening to what your latent content Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. Latent, yes yes content Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah
1: not the manifest
0: no the late what's what's under it yeah yeah Yeah, exactly
1: And I think that it's much, it's so much harder to do than we even realize. Because just when you're engaged in a conversation, I think about a lot when you and I are talking even, am I validating you? Like, do you feel heard Um, because I'm so eager to get in the next bit or get in my and? So you tell me if I'm not yesing you enough or... I'm trying her. not
0: to jump in. Oh, okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> and then, lastly, I think that it, doing some kind of collaborative problem solving is definitely the most effective route to take. Once again, because you're you're going to get the child, teen person's buy-in, and that the more collaborative the process, and the more the more ownership one is likely to take in the process. And definitely with preteens and teenagers, I think it's very helpful to even walk them through what problem solving looks like, as opposed to coming in with the solution as helpful as we think that we're going to be. I think that it can be extraordinarily helpful to include the other person, especially the person whose life it's going to impact the most (laughs) in that process, even when they're a child. Like, I think that that's probably the next generation will think differently. But as of now, this is the mindset that we're operating in, really least that I operate
0: Yeah, they'll go back to spanking. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, that brings us to our final section, our fun palette mm. cleanser. <laughs> our recommendations of things that have made our lives better that we want to share with you. No, you have to.
1: <laughs> so Dana Well no, you have to engender the oh yeah, I don't want to tell you. I'm just making a collaborative <laughs> right. something, right? So this
0: is the section where we just go manifest content <laughs> on you, and you can figure out the latency yourself, <laughs> right. listener. Do the work. Okay, should I go first? You want to go, go first. first? Okay, I'm eager to hear. So this this is. A, I'm sorry, but this one's kind of New Yorko centric. I just had the great pleasure today of attending the Andy Warhol exhibit at the Whitney Museum Uh downtown. And he just was such a creative genius. Mm -hmm. And I used to be kind of a Picasso fan, you know, because I'm all cliched (laughs) like Mm -hmm. everybody else. And... And respect his genius. And then I had some problems with it. And then I saw Nanette, which is the Hannah Gadsby mm-hmm. show where she does a deconstruction of Picasso's misogyny. It's fabulous. That's a yes, recommendation that's another for another recommendation. day. That's but, great. but anyway, seeing Warhol in the context of that and the different media he used, including, may I say, urine. Mm. Urine mm. to beautiful effect oxidized some metals (laughs) in a way I never would have expected (laughs) like it was such a great conversation about society and art history and gender and love and fame and he did such beautiful things and he had so much humor and it just it was so pleasurable wow wow And the fun thing was is that you know that he would be so appreciative of you taking tons of pictures of it and Uh selfies with it. Like he was just into the image and the face and the self and everything. Uh It was just really fun and Uh, thought-provoking and
1: beautiful. And is that what you went to with your mother? Yeah, my mm-hmm.
0: mom's in town. I, I went to that with her today. Oh, then We means. got some pictures taken in the photo booth
1: oh. of
0: ourselves at her suggestion, which I thought was incredibly cute Oh, and fun. that is
1: adorable. Oh, oh I want great. to see the pictures. I'll show you later. Okay. Yeah,
0: okay. I have it with me.
1: Um, oh, now mine is so lame. Now no, I no. Okay, well, mine is not nearly as cultural or... I don't know what esoteric highfalutin is. Yes. <laughs> <Mine> is actually. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hoity toity.
1: Mine is just dumb, but I love this stuff. So we're 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 supposed to go to a barmitz for this week uh-huh. in Connecticut. We're gonna have to sleep over at my in laws. I didn't want to have to iron my son's shirt again, and so while I was on the phone with you, actually, I was I was packing, and I mentioned that I use this downy wrinkle releaser, which is actually the best thing. I don't I hate ironing. I feel so like fifties. I know saying this. My but mom
0: irons her sheets still.
1: Really? Yeah. What, Isn't she's that mind quite blowing? The homemaker. She
0: really is. She's yeah.
1: Because you can even buy them wrinkle-free now. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they're not as nice. but No, oh. that
0: crisp cotton feeling. I have to say, it's nice, but who has the wow. time? My wow. God.
1: Yes. Well, you may want to recommend this downing wrinkle <laughs> to her.
0: She has some allergies. But anyway, <laughs> go on, go on, go on. <laughs> and, so,
1: and, and I think you could get scent-free. But at, okay. anyway, and so you just spray that on. You pull a little bit smooth. It as works. A, it's, it's great. And it's I, a spray? It's a spray and you just spray it on. I sprayed it on his khakis. I sort of yanked them a little bit and smooth. I try to do that with my own sweat. But this <laughs> sounds more effective. <laughs> Well, you're probably not allergic to that too. no I, I hope not I, hope I could try that too. no that's but, a
0: great one that I mean well, you know this is you. about making life better yes. and that probably you know can improve many more lives than throwing down for the Whitney and dealing with crowds and all those funky mm. glasses that people wear there and you know yeah. it's it, that's a great tip thank, thank, you. You. thank well, you thank you thank you thank you yeah. So that's today. Yes. That's motivation. I feel motivated to help my kids find their motivation from within. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna motivate them. That's, no, I can't. No, you they can't gotta push find them. it. I just yeah. gotta wait the five or ten years <laughs> till they find. No, they'll find. They'll get it. Yes. It's it's all gonna feel be okay. Degenerate. Everybody's gonna end up where they're gonna end up anyway. Mm-hmm. If they're meant to be a barista, your kid's gonna be a barista. Mm-hmm. If they're meant to work for medicine sans frontières. Mm-hmm. Doctors Without Borders, you, you should have seen know. Dana roll her eyes at me. Then they're gonna they're they're all gonna be okay. Just love them.
1: I love that. Okay.
0: Okay. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and comment. Bye. Bye bye.